Hey everybody, welcome to The Big Ticket and the second episode of our special coverage of The Lion King. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. Today, director John Favreau explains why he decided to remake the animated musical classic and what happened when Beyonce wrote a new ballad for the movie. That and a whole lot more coming up after this short break. I'm Alec Baldwin. Listen to my podcast, Here's the Thing, on iHeartRadio. It's my chance to talk with artists, policymakers, and performers, like the actress Kristen Bell. And the moment I said, you know what, I have a thing, and it's a quirky, weird, fun thing that can be snarky, and I love doing it, I do it pretty well, why not lean into it? And that is when I felt like I started becoming happier. Music legend Mick Fleetwood. Fleetwood Mac was always about change, so that you were accepted for who you were. Former governor of Vermont, Howard Dean. I took the call in this quavering voice and the other end of the phone says, I regret to inform you that the governor has died of a heart attack and you're the governor. <laughs> that was the end of my medical practice. And best-selling author Isabel Wilkerson. People would come up to me of all different backgrounds and would say to me, I had no idea that this happened in our country. If you like listening as much as I like talking with interesting people, go to heresthething.org and subscribe now on the iHeart app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. Now, this is Lion King director, John Favreau. How are you, John? I'm, I'm doing pretty good. You had a great night last night. I'm glad you were there. Thank you. It was really, it was a special evening. It was really, it was, to see that movie in the Dolby with that crowd. That's great. And with the for me, it was exciting because it was the first time most of the cast had seen it. I was going to, and is it the first time most of the cast were together? I yes, mean, yes. <laughs> I mean, we tried to have them work together as much as possible, mm -hmm. and we wanted to record it. Uh, you know, the, the, the trick was to try to get this thing to feel as much like a live action film as you could, even though. I mean, literally every shot was animated. Uh, one. Well, oh, one, that's right. There was there's one shot that was photographed, uh, uh, but everything else was generated. I, I, I got to let people see I the movie. I was trying to figure it out last night. Did you? Do you get, what's your guess? One, per, one person in my office said they think it was just the opening shot. Okay. There was another shot. It was... It was something with rocks, I remember. Uh -huh. I'm like, that has to be. Uh -huh. But okay. then you're like, but I the love shot comes in, you're like, no, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> but by the way, how cool is it that, that you have to work so hard to figure it out? Know. To figure it out. But I also wanted to draw attention to the fact that there was, you know, every single, you know, the technology, people talk about the technology. It's such a human endeavor. There's mm -hmm. so many artists creating the lighting, creating, building each rock, each asset, and then putting all of that together and, and then being photographed by Caleb Deschanel, and and giving it that feeling that it's that it's so and, and all their tracks are in, invisible. It's like a Zen rock garden, you know. <laughs> so all their work is meant to just make their work disappear, and it, it looks so naturalistic that and I just wanted people to know because people might assume that some of the stuff is plates that we shot, mm. uh, and then just put characters into it. Right. But really, there were hundreds of artists working for years. Do you know how many people worked on the movie? This one, I would say, I would say it's in it's in the hundreds. It's definitely, uh, you know, many continents. We had, yeah. you know, a lot, a lot. We recorded a lot, and did a lot of research in in Africa. Of course, a lot of the music with mm -hmm. Lebo M. Uh, in Asia, a lot of the work was done. In in Europe, 
uh, MPC was based in London. Who's tracking of course, all in, this in stuff? the states here. <laughs> yeah, that's really part that's of the. You know, you have crazy. about fourteen hundred shots, and every one of them. And we and, and and we have to design all the characters, every bug, every um, every blade of grass. Uh, and what's so fascinating is with the tools that are available, and 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 you know things like, not to get too geeky about it, but but there's all sorts of uh, fur sims that we develop, and 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 the ray tracing, the way that light uh, reflects off of different objects and bounces onto others. You know all of these basically you know simulations that are. Uh, that you require programming artistry and mm-hmm. and and very powerful computers to do and some of those shots are could be like a, a you know like 150 hours per frame 24 frames per second because Crazy. it requires that much processing power and so so much goes into it and and what's so nice is when you watch it with a crowd it's just all that goes away and you just feel like you're looking at something uh, that could be a BBC documentary, you know? It truly is. I mean, there were, like I was looking at the bugs, the first, yeah. the first bug and the noise of uh-huh, the bugs. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, that's... It's like, that's, like, it, was real, it was like natural. Yeah, out. Skywalker sound. That's, wow. uh, you know, they're so, just, again, artists, people, humans building these things and creating this illusion. How, so tell me about the day you sat down or someone came to you and said, you know what? There's this classic movie called The Lion King and I think I want to read it. Well, we had such a great team together, and I learned so much uh, over the course of Jungle Book. And I finally kind of figured out how to do it by the end. Like, mm-hmm. it took the whole process to really be comfortable with all this technology. And all of this new technology was coming online because all of this uh, consumer-facing VR hardware was now becoming available. And and game engines were becoming so so robust also, like real-time renders. Mm-hmm. And so we started, as we were finishing up Jungle Book, we started to bring in gear to test it out and you realize that all the stuff uh, that had been traditionally done with expensive very specialized tools like you know the motion capture tech that uh, James Cameron developed mm-hmm. for Avatar you know we were still using a lot of that stuff on Jungle Book and that was you know 10 years later but here all this new stuff was coming out and we decided to try to build a software suite uh that was essentially a multiplayer VR filmmaking game mm. that allowed all of us to pop on the headsets and be in these virtual environments that we created. And so the whole beginning of the process was was like an animated film. We had a story department, uh, storyboards, animatics, recorded the voices of the of the actors, created like a... a a show reel that you could watch the film in pencil. Mm-hmm. And if you look at any of like the the DVD extras on a Pixar movie. It was essentially that, right? Like, if you look at The Incredibles, that's a really good... Mm -hmm. By the way, if you want to learn about animation, looking at The Mm The Incredibles extras is really really, uh, quite illuminating. Uh, But at a certain point in in animation, you go into layout, which is where you start to set the cameras and the lights and the character choreography, basically just on a a computer, Mm -hmm. using a mouse and and splines, what they call, you know, for the camera moves. You, You program everything. But that's where we departed. We had this movie that was animated within a game engine. So, you know, all human animators uh, and all digitally rendered environments. And and then we brought the whole live-action film crew into the animated film. And so we were all there in the Pride Lands looking at the lions next to us, figuring out where the cameras should go. And then we created tools that could interface with that VR mm-hmm. environment. So we had dollies and we had cranes 
and wheels. And so if you came to our, our stage, you would see no lights, but you would see, like I said, dolly track, cranes. You would see uh, script supervisor, uh, assistant directors, camera operators, dolly grips, set dressers, everything you'd see. So we inherited the culture of a, of a live action film. And the aesthetic of a live action film and, and having Caleb Deschanel, who's not, you know, has not worked on effects films before in there, setting lights, explaining to the people at the computers where the lights should go mm. and in VR space with us, scouting as we would on a tech scout and setting where the camera position should be and then operating the camera that was moving the camera inside the virtual world. And we would generate dailies from that, give it to the editor and we would cut together the movie as though we had filmed it in live action. What made you say Lion King? I knew with the tools that we had and what the technology had to to offer and the team that had uh, done such a great job on Jungle Book that there was an opportunity here to show the naturalism of that world mm-hmm. and to... Um, I knew... I kind of understood how to make animals act and talk mm-hmm. uh, through animation... I understood how to direct animation, too, because there were some sequences in in Jungle Book that didn't have uh, Mowgli in them. Right. And those scenes were p- completely CG. And I, I was comfortable uh, directing the animators. And and then I said, well, what if we just, you know, we did it with Jungle Book. What if you just pulled the one human out of Jungle Book? Right. How would you do that? And and so we no longer required sets, and we no longer required um, lights. Crazy. But we, but you had also nothing to cut to. You know, having Mowgli's face to cut to really grounded that film. Right. If you pull that out, you have nothing to hide behind. You have no reference to compare things to. And so we really, you know, it was a bit of a leap of faith. But because Lion King has such emotional resonance, is such a timeless myth. Uh, has such amazing music and so, so many great roles and, and so much anticipation too because people are so connected to it especially the generation of, uh, the next generation younger than me I'm a mm-hmm. I'm a Gen Xer yep. uh, the Millennials you know th- that was one of those movies that was on loop in the backseat of a minivan so <laughs> yeah. when somebody knows Lion King they know every line of Lion King I was watching my, my husband's movie uh-huh. uh, and I was watching him and he grew up and, and he, he knew it all. Mexico. English isn't even his first language. And he knew the, the, all the English. See, so that's a... And, and so part of it is it's a great opportunity, but it's also a great responsibility. Because right. you know it's an important property for Disney. So you want to make sure you don't you don't mess that mm-hmm. up because mm-hmm. this is... You get one crack at it. Yeah. Uh, and you want to make a great movie. You know, you want to do the best you can. And you have all these actors that trust you who've jumped on board, t- taken a leap. But you have this audience that you're talking about that feel incredibly connected to it. And I felt that, I, I understand that relationship from Marvel. Mm-hmm. I understand that relationship uh, working on a Star Wars project now, The Mandalorian. Uh, and and But from an emotional standpoint, Lion King uh, has a very deep, the, the, the audience has a very deep relationship with it because it deals with very strong themes and, and extremely emotional you know plot points, and I don't want to. I guess everybody's seen it. I want to spoil it, but but it deals with loss. It and deals with fear. That your your version seems much darker than the original. Well, it's live. I mean, it's 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 you know it's people call it live action. You should say it's photo real animation, 
but there is something about the you know you're, you're seeing something that looks real happening in front of you right. and there's a certain distance that the stylization of 2d animation both in the performances the comedy mm-hmm. the tone uh but there, there's a there's more of a distance as you know the illusion that you're seeing something actually happening you know definitely creates a different context and that's part of why i wanted to get caleb because caleb you know looking at you know whether it's just looking at the black stallion so much is done by composition lighting what's suggested and we knew that you couldn't just put the camera right there on everything but you had to create that feeling and with caleb's photography and hans zimmer's music that score it creates the whole emotion and and the memory of the audience too that you could allude to things much more subtly so if you actually look shot for shot we're actually showing uh quite a bit less well, but that, the overall I effect. You, I know you're not. It's not a shot-for-shot shot movie. It's not a complete duplicate. Right. How do you? But a lot of it is the same. How do you decide? Like, what do you keep from the original, and where do you veer off? From yeah, and so that's a you know everybody's got their own formula, and I'm I'm not saying this is the way you do it, but it's the way I I've mm-hmm. done it is is because uh, you, you want people, especially with a film like this, you don't want to reinvent it completely. You want people to see it and be able to say. I saw The Lion King, just like when I went to see the the play. Mm-hmm. I went to see the play, and I had seen the movie, and I said, I saw The Lion King. Now, the play is an hour longer and has different songs, different scenes, but right. somehow it captured the essence of the film, and you would casually say it's the same exact story. Right. And that was a goal here, is like, how could we make it feel... Uh, casually as though you saw the same thing. But then as you examine it, you know, ours is, we're we're almost a half hour longer than the original film. There's a lot of scenes that weren't there. There's character, there's dimensionalizing characters. All the comedy is different. But but the way I figure out what you could change and can't change is I I use memory as a a tool for, uh, to understand what I should prioritize. In Mm -hmm. other words, you know, we organize our memories based on relevance. So I saw the the original the original writers get character credits for your Lion King. Like, how do you figure that out? Well, that's Disney. Disney yeah. figures that out, you know, because it was the original was an animated uh, right. production. So, you know, they have, um, you know, we, we we definitely wanted to make sure that we, you know, gave very prominent credit to them right. because this film, you can't separate this from what came before. It, it's very much a reflection of that, and hopefully. It, uh, Hopefully, a respectful and accurate one, and, and and the filmmakers who were involved with the original production. I, I spoke to were, the original director. <clears throat> they were very um, helpful and collaborative, and really cared deeply that we did a good job because it reflects on on what it's part of the legacy of what they've created. Right. So there's that responsibility too. You're talking about different yeah, responsibilities. Got a lot of responsibility. It was a lot. It was a lot, and I know what it feels like too from having done the first Iron Man movie, right. and now you know the MCU has continued on with other filmmakers and with Kevin Feige overseeing all that and I know how grateful I am when I'm included in when people know that I care and invite me to be a part of it and when they do a great job with it and and expand upon what I've done because it just makes it would feel really I don't know even though it's all fictitious characters you feel very you feel like they're real And, and how Endgame um I think closed the circle on on that whole Tony Stark arc um made me feel really happy and proud mm-hmm. and and though i who knows how, how i would have uh, right. chosen what path i would have chosen mm-hmm. but to know that the russo brothers 
really thought it through and did such a f- fantastic job made me feel a, a tremendous sense of gratitude right. and relief <laughs> that the character <laughs> that, that that tony had been looked after right. um and so i felt that now here i am coming into something that people have lived with right. for 25 years that had meant so much to people's childhood you wanted to make sure that we got that right and so and so just to, to answer your question I, I make a list in the beginning of what things I remember from the original, oh, right? And so for something like Iron Man, the list might be short, or Jungle Book, it might be a couple songs or a few scenes, or Mowgli with a torch, or the hypno- <laughs> hypnotizing Mowgli. Uh, something like Lion King, that's a very long list. And the more things that are on that list that I make, before I go back and watch it again, this mm-hmm. is just from memory. So you think the circle of life, the stampede, uh, which songs mean the most to you? What image from each song? What mm. character? What line of dialogue? What joke? And then that becomes the priority list. And then you watch the movie and you realize there's so much stuff that you don't remember. It's different than you remember. And so for something like Circle of Life, it's it's you know almost shot for shot. Uh, Stampede, Mufasa falling from the cliff, mm-hmm. all those things. Spoiler, I should say spoiler alert for people who don't know. Who don't know. Um, <laughs> But, but, uh, but there's other things like what really happens in uh, when you're with Timon and Pumbaa, the, mm-hmm. the, the jokes, the humor, um, can you feel the love tonight? The song people remember, but the imagery is totally different. Right. And we've added scenes and storylines and things like that. Uh, and I think, you know, what I'm... What, I, what I'm, I think worked out well is that when people look at it, they assume that we basically took the same script and they yeah. did the same thing. But but as people see this one, especially the generation that really understands the first one, mm-hmm. and I got a glimpse of that with Donald to some extent, but Chance, Chance, Chance the Rapper. he's like Mr. Lion King. And he's Mr. Lion King, and Donald like brought him by, and I was curious about him, and he came in and he was like our millennial Lion King Sherpa who <laughs> knew every twist and turn, every line when we would show him footage. And he also knows music, and he's also very, you know, just extremely talented and current and thoughtful and smart and so that he cared enough like first it was just to show him but then seeing how him and and his friends would react to sequences and i would just grill them about like do you do you see what we did there how we changed yeah 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 no is that okay no no no, that's cool that's good that's good so it would always be like me checking with him he was almost like a technical advisor so you had like han zimmer who was there from the beginning, who could speak to the legacy of the original, and also not afraid of change in the future. Right. You know, And he's a bit of an unsung mentor and hero through this process beyond just the music, because he was the guy, he's the phone call I'd make to say, all right, could we include this new thing? Could we, uh, how do we, does this piece of music fit into the, right. how could we adjust this to make it fit with what you're doing? And never afraid of, um, of, of change, but always cognizant of how it felt from somebody who could speak with authority about what the true essence of, of the original production was. We're going to take a short break, but when we come back, John recalls hearing Beyonce's new Lion King ballad, Spirit, for the first time. Stick around. If you're looking for COVID-19 testing, look into Quest, the lab that's processed over 25 million tests and counting. You can get the same test hospitals use without a doctor visit. Simply order online, select from drive-through or at-home options, and get results sent securely to your phone or computer. 
It's experience and accuracy you can trust from Quest, the largest medical testing lab in the country. So order today at questcovid19.com. That's questcovid19.com. Hey, y'all, what's up? It's Jess Hilarious, and I'm just making sure y'all know that I got a podcast called Carefully Reckless on the Black Effect Network. I'm going to be telling y'all all my business and telling y'all other people's business, too. It ain't no limits to the things I talk about. Y'all know that if y'all know me. From baby mama drama to healthy relationships, from child support to stimulus checks. Look, when you take a step back and you realize that we all go through crazy stuff and we got stories to tell, those situations do not define you. But they do make for a real good conversation. <laughs> In a world where clickbait and cancel culture can tell your story before you do, I'm creating an outlet to remind people that we still human crazy and we can all laugh about it. Don't stress over it. Bring your problems to me. I promise I won't judge you, but I might crack a joke or two. Don't be scared. It'll be respectful and messy at the same time. Just make sure you tune in. Listen to Carefully Reckless every Wednesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. Here's more of John Favreau. So you get Beyonce. Beyonce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you give her notes? How do you direct Beyonce? Beyonce is... Extreme. First of all, extremely hardworking. You know, that's kind. You know, everybody knows about the talent. Everybody knows about the. You know, the experience. The the just the prolific career, filmmaking, putting shows on, dancing, choreography, singing, uh, understanding how to. You know, how the culture mm-hmm. is affected by the arts and 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 vice versa, but. At the end of the day, a work ethic that ultimately, you know, and I wish that people understood how much hard work goes into some, something that seems to be just like it's naturally handed down to right. her. She works very hard. She was extremely prepared and comes to it with a very uh, open, collaborative energy. Mm. And somebody who has, you know, and she's such a student because now she, you know, she directed Homecoming and very intimately involved with things like Lemonade and her stage shows and albums and writing. And, and so it, it requires a certain um, mindfulness and attentiveness. And, and so, you know, it was clear to me why she's so, so creative right. because she's curious when, you know, we had all the tech set up. So when we record, mm-hmm. we'd either have like a black box theater where mm-hmm. people would record together and actually walk around and not really acted out for, for, for behavior, but just as reference for people to understand the performances, the animators mm-hmm. to see what they're doing. But I would have them overlap and improvise. It was like a theater rehearsal. And you saw Beyonce doing this. Are you like, and so, well, wow. with, Beyonce, it was di- with Beyonce, it was different because Beyonce often would, you know, remember she was having kids throughout this process and, and then touring and doing albums. So she's, she's the hardest working uh, person in, in showbiz. Right. Um, but when she would show up, she would have done rehearsed takes and brought recordings and done versions of a song and tried this or that and then record with me. So she clearly get, did a lot of homework going right. into it. And then, of course, a lot of conversations about it. Um, she, when she brought you Spirit, did she yes. bring you different versions? Or did no, she bring you this? That, and you was, that's it. that was, I mean, she played it. And it was, first of all, when Beyonce plays a song for you <laughs> and then Beyonce's sitting there with <laughs> yeah. you and we're all there, you know, like the film people are there and the music people are all sort of coming together. And she says, you know, and also she's very, um, you know, she's got, she's, there's one persona for on stage right. and then there's a, 
a persona for when you're collaborating right. and just per you know she's a mom and she's a you know a, an artist she's right. she's has a, a totally different energy um, than than what you see when you know in a stage show. Right. I think people always assume that, that, you <laughs> right. know, that, that she makes such an impression there. And and she you know they play the song uh, like I hope you know, do you mind if I play? play it? And I would show and I would show her stuff too. I'd say hey here's what we came up with with the choreography for right. this fight and here's something I adjusted here and take a look at this and we use this line of dialogue of yours. So it was very collaborative, not just with her but right. with everybody. Whenever somebody would come by, take them through the tech, they put on the they go into VR. They would see what we're doing. They would show mm -hmm. them the cut, the cut, the latest cut of the scene, and then she played for us uh, "Spirit," and it was um, it, what it didn't even require any, you know, eye contact with anybody. Everybody right. was just blown away, and you know, she she played it, and then I think what I said was, "Do you mind playing that again?" <laughs> <laughs> and we played it again, and because you want to say, "Am I just digging this because she's here? I'm here with Beyonce, or she's playing the song for me?" Uh, is that affecting my read? Am I being yeah. objective enough? And it's like, no, these lyrics are good. This works. And then they start playing with it. Say, C -c let's play with it against the picture. Let's see how this fits into what we have here. And uh, and it just and then, and then of course having, you know, Hans Zimmer and Lebo who helped bring because if you hear the version within the film, there's a lot that they collaborated with to help make it fit into the flow and tone of the right. movie so it's a great song as it stands alone but in the film you'll see it's a lebo singing with a choir right. that brings it in and the part that you use and it's something i really look forward to and uh and with hans zimmer it's like he's he was very much a proponent of it saying this is really this is good to update and right. it helps you know because you're looking for opportunities to to adjust and change things, but you don't want to do something that somehow takes away from or undermines people's expectations of what they grew up with. And this was a really uh, good good opportunity to do that. You did an amazing job, Billy and Seth. Billy and Seth. We gotta yeah. get them on a road show together. They have that like Disney Plus shows coming out. Of I, this. They have to. I mean, they're <laughs> just so good, and and um, you know, it makes me just proud because they were everybody here's my first choice. You know what I mean? These mm -hmm. guys are my first choice. And and I knew this is a part that's a little less mysterious to me than the music because I come from comedy. I come from improv. And I had also seen them. I knew them both separately. I think I saw them and Billy on the street together just to see <laughs> how that they clicked. And then uh, I knew that they were also writers. And Donald's also a writer. Yep. You know, you, many people might not. He was a writer on, the 30, on 30 Rock. Yep. I mean, he's a... That writer's room is not a precious environment. It is a, you know, you got to work hard and, you know, have 10 ideas and, and you're on the clock and you're all in a room full of other really funny, <laughs> smart people. Um, and so I, I really, the, the, of course, Donald's great singer and great performer, filmmaker, uh, but his comedy roots is what really uh, got me excited right. as both a performer and writer. And so having uh, these three guys who are all writers slash performers, it created a little bit of a, more of a, you know, like a like an incubator of ideas. And so, and also with comedy people, they are tireless. They will keep doing it, keep trying, keep trying to plus it. So they would come up with stuff. We would edit it together. I'd set it against either pencils or later picture and bring them back in to look at it. And I, I never said, We're, oh, it's done. It was as many times as they wanted to try to plus it, we would do it. 
And I also, you know, tried to create an environment where they could do improv. And so it felt like an improv workshop. We had them wearing microphones. We had boom mics. But ultimately, it was, you know, just a black box theater, like a theater rehearsal. They, we would use the, the written lines in the script. We would have uh, Jeff, the, the, the writer would be there, uh, Jeff Nathanson, and we would, he, he'd throw lines out. I'd throw lines out. We tried again. We had some scenes with them with, with, with J.D. McCreary. We'd have some scenes with just the two of them. Sometimes they would come back alone and try, just try to record a few things to picture. Uh, and so it, it, it got into that. We hit enough of the jokes people remember from the old one because there were a few that people really remembered. But a lot of it was just them uh, having this great relationship and improvising and a lot of jokes that just were thrown away. And, and it was so nice to watch it in a full theater last night because everything that they said hit and I know that I know that they felt that, that they had big shoes to fill because in the original film it's so memorable. Uh, mm-hmm. Nathan Lane and Isabella do so, you know. But it but it didn't feel like the right tone for this look, mm-hmm. and so uh, a lot of that changed more significantly than let's say Mufasa's monologues. Uh, the, the comedy in twenty five years comedy changes a bit, and 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 also this 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 uh, photo real look I think warranted a different tone of comedy. And so I was very proud of them, and, and I was so happy for them when, when the room was just, uh, you know, when they were tearing the house down. And um, I just felt relieved and happy for them. Good. And, you know, again, you're not just trying to do a good job in a movie. You're trying to do a good job in a movie in context of a wonderful performance that came before you. It's like, it's like replacing somebody in a Broadway show. <laughs> you know, you're, you, it, 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 it's not in a vacuum. Right. The same thing with Chiwetel. You know, you Jeremy Irons before that, you know. Extremely memorable performance, but then Chiwetel to bring his version of it and have people react so well to it, and I felt like everybody got there. We're appreciated for what they what they did in it. Congratulations! Thank you. You're amazing. Thank you. You're great. I mean, I could just listen to you. Oh, thank hours. you. That was great. That was John Favreau. Thanks for listening to The Big Ticket. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. Coming up next week, I sit down with Jamie Bell. He reveals why he was scared of making his new indie real-life drama, Skin. Plus, he shows off his singing skills with, get ready for it, an impersonation of Cher. Until then, I'm Mark Malkin. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at Mark Malkin. See you next week. Hold up. 